That music means your next hour is going to be about connection. Welcome to This Show Is All About You, a show dedicated to discussing and experiencing the things we all have in common. When you and me become we and explore what it means for all of us. Here's your host, historian, writer, social commentator, and a whole lot of other things, J.D.K. Winnekin. Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome back to another episode of This Show is All About You. How you doing? Give yourself a minute. Figure out how exactly how you're doing, what you're feeling before we move forward. However you're feeling, thank you for taking the time to join me today for the next hour. If you are doing so live, thanks so much for doing it. If you are listening to this as a podcast, and you can get this wherever you get your podcasts, also, thank you for doing that. And thank you in advance for subscribing and leaving me a review. I really appreciate it. You can find out more about me at my website, wordsbyjdk.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. W-Y-N-E-K-E-N is my last name. Look that up. And you will find me quite easily. Would love to hear from you, chat with you, get your opinions on the show, talk about some topics I could tackle later on down the road, whatever's on your mind. Come on in and connect with me and let's see where we can go. All right. Um, I, I've been gone for a week uh, or so, had, had some other things I needed to do last week. However, I am, am ready to be right back to it today. Just remember, uh, a handful of weeks ago, I shifted the format of the show a little bit. Every show is broken into three parts. The first one is about what's going on in the world. The second part is who is today's story about? And the last one is where am I at personally? So that's what we do every week on this show. And uh, hopefully the reason why you're here is either A, because you've listened to this before and you enjoy it, or B, you've heard from somebody who's listened to this before and has enjoyed it and you're wondering if you might. Well, I will do my best to help you out. And before we start, I want to make sure I thank this show's sponsor, longtime sponsor, Airway Science for Kids which is a nonprofit based down in Portland, Oregon, that provides life and career pathway opportunities for underserved youth through the exploration of aerospace careers, of which there are hundreds of them. Not only do they help kids connect with what their interests might be, but they also help kids better connect with themselves, their families, and with their larger communities. If you want to find out how they do all of that amazing work and pull it all together, uh, please check out their website at airsci.org, A-I-R-S-C-I.org. Thanks so much to them, and you'll hear more about them during the show breaks today. All right. Uh, it's Springtime is here, uh, particularly in the, where I am in the Northwest. The sun is out. It's not quite warm yet, but it's on its way, and there's a lot to talk about that's going on in the world. And let's kick it off right away, as we always do, with a look at the news in the segment called "Where What in the World is Going On? This morning, Russia moving its nuclear weapon threat beyond its borders. President Putin on Russian state TV planning to deploy tactical nuclear weapons designed for limited strikes on the battlefield into Belarus. The regime there, a longtime ally of Putin. The Russian leader claiming he's responding to the UK supplying Ukraine with depleted uranium tank shells. The Kremlin falsely claiming the shells contain nuclear components. Well, I suppose that's one way you can perhaps illustrate to a willing audience that doesn't get outside news um, a reason why maybe your forces are getting destroyed in such large numbers is that somehow the British have these magical nuclear 
uh, artillery shells that can wipe out hundreds, if not thousands of people at one time. Simply not the case. Uh, but it is an increase not only in rhetoric, but in uh, the tactical and political element of what Putin is trying to do. Belarus, of course, if you take a look at a map, is on the northern border of Ukraine and the western border of Russia. And so it is significant that tactical nukes are being used there. And just important for perspective, a tactical yield nuke that's used on the battlefield, as they mentioned there, still has about the explosive power of the weapons used at Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So we're not talking about a nuclear weapon that would blow up a city block. We're talking about a nuclear weapon that would blow up a city. And so it's worth keeping that in mind as this, as this war of words from Putin's side continues to escalate. At the same time, uh, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky has pointed out that one of the reasons why their spring offensive hasn't happened yet, at least according to him, is because they do not have enough weapons. They're actually needing to go through a lot of artillery to, uh, in particular, to keep the Russians at bay. And certainly for countries like the United States and for the European Union, ramping up production to make that type of stuff, not only for Ukraine to use, but also for their own militaries to use, matters a lot. And then, of course, in something else that I think is also significant, Norway, Sweden, Denmark, and Finland all voted to join their military air forces together into one unit over the weekend. 250 uh, top-of-the-line uh, American-made warplanes now operating as one unit. Yet another one of these side effects of Putin's decision to uh, invade Ukraine. Again, unifying Europe and the United States in a way that has not been seen really since the early days of the Cold War. Meanwhile, some big events going on in Israel took a turn just this morning. Israeli cities tonight erupting in protest after Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu sacked his defense minister today, the country's political turmoil rapidly deepening. Netanyahu removing Yoav Gallant, a member of his own Likud party, after Gallant called for a pause in the government's controversial plan to weaken Israel's judiciary, essentially stripping its power to have final say on Israel's laws. The plan triggering weeks of massive protests. Well, that was yesterday, and some things happened overnight. As of this morning, Benjamin Netanyahu has put a pause on the judicial reform process, at least for the next month, while the Israeli Knesset, its legislature, is out of session. The reason why is overnight in the aftermath of his firing of the Israeli defense minister, one of the most important positions in that country, hundreds of thousands of people, this time upwards of 400,000, Israelis out of a country, again, of 9 million poured into the streets in in protest that are getting increasingly, increasingly tense. Meanwhile, a number of Israeli labor unions are going on strike, uh, hitting things like uh, travel within the country and outside of the country. And a lot of different forces are mobilizing against Netanyahu and this far right government that he is running against their moves to essentially strip the, uh, the Supreme Court of its autonomy. This is all, of course, part of Netanyahu's own challenges. He's, be, he's been indicted for corruption <laughs> in the country, so he is facing trial. So this is very self-serving. But the very fact that this has paused shows that protests like the ones the Israelis have done can provide um, and can actually move the needle, I should say, on these political things. The very fact that it was the defense minister that came out and said this and said this judicial reform process is threatening Israeli national security seems like it was a bridge too far for more people within the government and uh, Netanyahu, at least for now, has backed off. So we'll see how things develop over the next month. 
All right, and then finally, in a celebration of something that's very, very important to me, something really cool happened last week that is a harbinger of something really cool about to happen this week. Baseball wins tonight. Matchup we've all been wanting to see. Three and two from Otani. He throws. Trout strikes out swinging. Otani and Japan celebrate a World Baseball Classic championship. And on this night, the great Shohei Otani and Japan just a little bit better than Mike Trout and USA. What an ending to an all-time tournament. We got to see what we came to see. That was unbelievable. Last week, the final of the World Baseball Classic where uh, the Team Japan defeated Team USA 3-2 to two in a thrilling fashion that you heard there at the end. And what was so great about that, besides the fact it was an amazingly played game and a great tournament, sort of a World Cup of baseball, uh, is that that final, that final at-bat that you heard was Shohei Otani, perhaps the greatest athlete on the planet right now, who pitches and hits cleanup. He's a massive power hitter for the Los Angeles Angels. Face down his teammate... Mike Trout, who's the greatest baseball player in the country, also of the Angels, they faced each other with the game on the line, and Otani and Team Japan won that game. The reason why it was so great is, on one hand, it showed that baseball, which is my favorite sport to watch, I absolutely love it, fans of this show know that, uh, is expanding and becoming more popular around the world. Here's a staggering statistic. This is how popular baseball is in Japan. 94.6% of Japanese television sets were watching that game. Last week, 94.6%. That is absolutely unheard of to the point where I'm still not quite sure I fully believe that. But even if it was that close, it's pretty amazing. And the reason why that's exciting for me is baseball season in the United States starts this coming week. I am going to opening night here in Seattle for my beloved Seattle Mariners. I'm very excited about that. But for me, spring, hope, springs eternal in baseball as well as in life. So baseball is starting this week. And whether you like baseball or not, you're probably going to hear more about it in the days ahead. All right, so that's the news uh, for the past week. So that's what's going on. Let's move right into what the story for today is. And, and the last few weeks, um, I've hit on some pretty heavy subjects, uh, mainly because I thought they were appropriate and important. And sometimes I put my historian hat on that uh, to do that, to look back at something from a historical perspective. Sometimes I look at personal stories. I oftentimes try to blend the two together to give you a better sense of who I am, what I'm about, and what I'm doing. Today, um, I am taking a look at a personal history story, and it's a story about common threads. And if you think about it, every one of the fun things about living life is that we can develop these common threads over time, particularly when you've lived here for a little while on the planet. You know, what are some common threads of maybe experiences in family or with friends or out in the larger world? And that's sort of where our, our roots of wisdom and perspective and things like that come from. And I was reflecting on what I wanted to talk about today uh, over the past week or so, and I fell upon what I'm going to call today's story is the story of the four Eric's. <laughs> four Eric's. And yes, uh, Eric Ryder <laughs> in studio, uh, producer, just his eyebrows just went up. Uh, we'll get to that, Eric. Uh, but nevertheless, the four Eric's. And it's a story about common threads. And so I would like to tell you a little bit about where this came from. It's one of those unique things. Uh, over the course of my life, I've joked with a number of people that uh, there are certain names of people that somehow, for some way, produce something either amazing in my life or not so amazing. So, for example, uh, every person I've met whose name is Jeremy, 
it has not been a positive experience for me. <laughs> that doesn't mean that is true for all Jeremy's out there at all. It just means in my experience, that's how it's been. Um, I also, there's other names as well, but this one name, Eric, okay, with a C or a K. It's really interesting how over time, ever since I was a kid, some pretty big things have happened around them that have taught me something about myself. And so I thought I would share a little bit about that today. And the idea, I guess, if for you listening is to be wondering, maybe it's not around a name, although I'm sure some of you have a similar experience. Certain names <laughs> seem to be associated with certain things. But in this case, the Eric's I'm going to talk about today, four of them, uh, something really important I've learned about myself has happened because of my interactions with them. And it goes all the way back to uh, when I was a kid. And uh, let's start with that. So there's four. So I'm going to tell you about the first one. I'm not going to give any last names, <laughs> anything like that, because I don't think that matters. And in the end, this is more about me than about them. Okay, but let's, so let's rewind back in time. So we're going to go back. If you've been alive this long, you can go with me and remember where, where you were. Let's go back to roughly 1981 or so. Okay. I lived in Hawaii as a kid, as listeners of this show know. And uh, when I went to school, uh, I went to public school there, and we had recess. We had all those things like every other school does. But in Hawaii, things are a lot more relaxed. <laughs> and I lived on the big island in the city of Hilo, which is a very relaxed town amongst Hawaiian, <laughs> amongst Hawaiian towns. And it's a very local town. It's not a big tourist town. Um, and so it's a lot of locals there. And if you really want to get a good sense of what the sort of all the different combinations of cultures that are in Hawaii, Hilo is a really good place to go. And it's also a place to get a really good look at just life across the spectrum, the, from the wealthiest all, all the way down to the poorest. I lived there growing up. It's the first place I really remember living. And uh, one day at school, I was in third grade. So yeah, it must be yeah, third grade, 1981, 1982, somewhere in there. Uh, I was out at recess and we were playing kickball, which was like the best thing ever when, you, when we, we were kids. And in Hawaii, you could wear flip-flops to school. Like I said, it was very relaxed. And, and for the most part, at recess, you weren't going to run around in flip-flops. So you just kind of kicked them off, right? You just, and you ran around barefoot all the time. Every kid in Hawaii who's lived there for a long time has got tons of calluses all over their feet because they're running around barefoot most of the time. And I was no exception. So we were playing kickball. And I was pretty good at kickball. I really enjoyed it. You know, I could kick the ball far. I could run fast. I was pretty confident in all of that. I was not confident in a lot of other areas of my life. Earlier at a different school when I was younger, uh, in kindergarten and first grade, I was bullied pretty extensively. And so I, I had gotten through that. I had moved to another school. And I felt much more comfortable in this new school. But I had never really kind of lost my temper or defended myself uh, at any point. And, uh, <laughs> and the story around the first Eric starts there. There was a kid on the other team, a friend of mine, uh, actually. His name was Eric. And he was on the other team, and uh, I was playing catcher. I was the person behind the plate rolling the ball in case people missed it or catching the ball to get somebody out at home, just like baseball, but you're kicking the ball. And uh, Eric slid into home on a play, and I had tagged him out. I was sure. I still am sure I tagged him out. And I shouted, you're out. And he stood up, and he was so mad at me, and he got in my face and said, no, I'm safe. You know, just it's what happens with friends sometimes, get, comp get competitive that way. And I don't remember if it was something that just the flashback of being picked on or something like that came to me. But right there at home plate, I absolutely leveled him. 
I kicked him really hard and dropped him. Like stood back and like just kind of karate chop kicked him right in the leg. And he dropped to the ground and he was crying and he was upset. And I felt, I remember feeling the surge of both strength and uh uh-oh, I should not have done that. And I turn around when I hear an adult say, hey, I turn around and who happened to just be watching the recess kickball game? But the principal of the school. (laughs) I didn't know he was there. (laughs) And I kicked the kid right in front of him. And so this moment of, whoa, what did I just do? This moment of, of, of standing at what I thought I was standing up for myself. Um, all of a sudden I had become the bully, right? At least in the eyes of the principal and honestly to the eyes of myself, right? In retrospect, Eric didn't deserve to be kicked. He was just disagreeing with me. But nevertheless, <laughs> so I lost my recess privileges for an entire week. That was the result. And back then, that's what they called a suspension from school. And really what that meant, though, and this was interesting, is that the principal, rather than just having me sit in a room and do nothing, uh, instead, I had to sit in his office and we talked about books. I would read these short books and he would talk to me about books. And so that's what I had to do for a week. I remember a few of them still, um, some books like Islands of, Island of the Blue Dolphins and a few others. One about Daniel Inouye, the longtime uh, senator from Hawaii. I had to read these books and talk with him. And we had recess at least twice a day. So twice a day, I was sitting in the principal's office talking to him about books that I had been reading. And the effect that that had on me was, okay, yes, I can stand up for myself. That was one thing. Two, um, I, have, I had more of a temper than I thought. And three, I need to learn to pay better attention to my surroundings. <laughs> this was a very, very important moment for me, and I was pretty young in all of that. And those three things became these common themes that started to run through my childhood. Can I, can I protect myself, and how do I defend myself? How do I pr- keep from losing my temper, or if I do, how do I handle it? And how can I be better aware of what is going on around me? Right now, that's the first, Eric. When we come back from this break... We'll talk about the other ones, all right? So come on right back here on This Show is All About You. Kids never have trouble dreaming about their future. The challenge is providing them the resources and opportunities to reach them. This is especially true from historically underserved communities. Fortunately, there's an organization that can help those dreams become reality. Airway Science for Kids helps underserved youth develop life and career pathways through exploration of aviation and aerospace. Using in-person and virtual programs, along with partnerships with companies, educational institutions, community health providers, and other resources, Airway Science for Kids helps students not only find their dream careers, but also learn how to better advocate for themselves and connect more effectively with their families, peers, and communities. To find out more, visit airsci.org. That's A-I-R-S-C-I dot org. Or email info at airsci.org. Airway Science for Kids. Providing aerospace for all. Welcome back, everyone, to this show is all about you. Today's story I've called The Four Erics. And right before the break, I talked about the first one and the lessons I learned there. Let's talk about the other ones now. Now, the second Eric, we have to fast forward quite a bit. We have to fast forward past the time I lived in Hawaii, past when we moved 
as a family to Southern California and past me graduating from high school there. And we're going to stop in Humboldt County, California, up in the middle of uh, Redwoods, five hours by car from San Francisco and about as far from anywhere else. It's actually one of the more rural places, believe it or not, in the entire country in terms of distance uh, from there to major cities. Uh, but it's beautiful up there, right along the coast. In some places, the redwoods come right up to the water. Uh, climate is very foggy and rainy a lot of times and, and gray and cold. But nevertheless, I loved it. And I decided to go to college there uh, for a lot of reasons. One was I could still pay in-state tuition and, and also have my own experience, right, being far from home. My family was still in Southern California at the time. And so I went up there, and it was kind of a, a time of, of self-discovery. And in my sophomore year, which was 1992, so we're going to go to 1993. So find wherever you were in June of 1993, and uh, you'll have an idea <laughs> of where things are here. Well, that year, I was in my sophomore year of college, and I lived in the dorms for the first year. It had a great experience overall, meeting a bunch of people from all around the state, all different types of people that I hadn't met in high school. And I'd made a lot of different friendships there, enough so that in my second year, I moved with uh, four buddies of mine into a brand new on-campus apartment complex. So imagine five guys who were friends their freshman year all deciding to move in together. Um, it was really fun uh, for the first couple months. That changed, however, when one, we found out one of my roommates uh, effectively had dropped out of school weeks before and hadn't told us and was still living in the dorms. And then finally it caught up with him and he had to leave. And so we had a vacant room. Uh, and we didn't have much of a say in who we were going to get to, to put into this. So the, the residence Association had somebody who was looking, and that was this new Eric. And Eric was um, not somebody we had known freshman year. In fact, he had just moved into the school and was a little bit older than the rest of us. And this Eric seemed to really understand and know that about himself, that he was older and in his own mind, uh, that made him better. We did not like Eric. Second Eric sucked. <laughs> he was not a good dude. We didn't like him. He was, he was uh, not, very, not very talkative. And when he was, he, uh, he put people down. He ate everybody's food or you know, drank their stuff out of their refrigerator. He drank an awful lot. Now that happens in college, but he would go nuts with it. Right. He would drink entire bottles of, of hard liquor and you never knew what you were going to get out of it. It got so bad to the point that um, he had to split a room with one of my other friends. We just moved my other friend into one of our rooms and had three of us in there. So we didn't have to deal with that, Eric. So we didn't like him, but we had really seemingly had no other recourse but to tolerate him. Right. And so this kind of tension went on for the whole year and it kind of put this big stain on our experience that sophomore year. Well, fast forward to the end of the year, and everybody's moving out. We're all happy to be moving out at this point, and I was going to be moving to an off-campus apartment, and some of my friends were doing the same. One of my friends was going to move in with me, so we were about to move off campus. Well, I was the last person other than Eric who was going to be moving out of the dorms that day, and we had to make sure that we had everything clean. We were going to get our deposit back, and I was heading off to a summer job where I was going to be a camp counselor, and I was really hoping that I was going to get my, uh, my deposit back because I was going to need that right, for, for the summer. And so I kind of had that banked in my mind. Well, Eric was the only other person who was left to clean up, and Eric refused to clean anything up, refused to do that. He was from a really wealthy family. He said, I don't really need to worry about that. That's your problem. I'm not going to clean anything. 
And so I was frustrated by that, and I said something to him about it. And I went out, was packing up my car, uh, and I went back in, and Eric was in the process of thrashing the place, taking stuff out of the refrigerator and splattering it on the walls, right? Taking dirt from the planter outside, bringing it in and grinding it into the floor, right? Doing everything you could possibly think of, right? Including some decidedly unsanitary things. <laughs> and it got really bad. And he said, this is what I think of your whole thing. And for the first time, really, since the first Eric, I came completely unglued. And in front of an entire group in this uh, of people moving out of the apartments. I proceeded to unload verbally on Eric where everybody could hear me. And people stopped in their tracks. It was one of those things where I was only vaguely aware. I was so furious. I was only vaguely aware of what was going on around me. But I suddenly realized there were a whole bunch of people gathering in and nobody liked Eric. Nobody liked him. And so they all felt this way about him. And apparently, I started voicing what everybody had been thinking about the guy for an entire year. And it went on and on and on. And I'll never forget Eric standing there in front of me, at first bemused, kind of trying to smile it off. And then as more and more people started joining in, he began to wilt, wilt, wilt. And, and, and I just went in for the kill. I saw that weakness. I kept on going, the verbal assault of pointing out every single one of his problems, every single one of his transgressions. Every single thing that I didn't like about him, that other people didn't like about him, just laid that into him. And I watched him wilt. That was the last time I saw him because he left school. He didn't come back the next year. I have no idea what happened to him. At the time, I didn't care. I was so mad and I had that sense of righteous anger. And I certainly had good reasons to be angry. And so the lesson I pulled from that was twofold. One, okay, yeah, I can find my voice. But also, too, wow, I really have the ability to tear somebody apart verbally if I choose to do it. And I remember feeling at the time both weirdly, perversely proud of that and also frightened of that. And it was something that I continued to battle with. I, very, I don't think I've come unglued like that on one person um, ever since like that. But... It has been something I've wondered my entire life about. What effect did that have? I could see the effect in the moment. It tore the guy down. And there was a larger question in my mind about whether he, had, he really deserved that or not. Right? And I'll leave that to you to decide. What I reflect on now is I wish I'd actually probably said all those things to him earlier <laughs> in perhaps not a way that I was going to come unglued, but I was also, you know, not even a 20-year-old kid yet at the time. So I do give myself some grace on that. But that was a part of something that I realized I could speak well, but I could really use it for ill. <laughs> you know, what did Spider-Man say? With great power <laughs> comes great responsibility. I guess with verbal power comes that responsibility. So it was something be, I became acutely aware of. And I also recognize that even among the people that I don't really like or don't really get along with, there is a dividing line that I try to stay on this side of, not tearing them apart as a human being even if I'm upset with some way, somehow, something that they're doing. Because in retrospect, I don't know why Eric was that way. But I can give you some guesses, at least now, of how things were for him growing up and what he had gone through to be that kind of person. I never had had that curiosity or that sense of inquiry before, and I do now. 
And no, I haven't tried to look him up. <laughs> I haven't done that. Maybe someday I might, but I don't think I will. All right, so that's the second Eric story. The third one doesn't involve me coming unglued. <laughs> in fact, um, and it's one that's still ongoing. Uh, the third Eric is uh, someone I consider a friend of mine uh, and a really good friend of mine. And it's actually a, a great story. It's, it's ongoing. A handful of years ago, I was uh, a tutor. Uh, for high school students and uh, helped them out with history and, and writing and a lot of things like that. And I really enjoyed that job. I worked one-on-one with them. Sometimes we would meet with them in uh, libraries. Other times I would go to their house and parents would be there and I would sit and work in a specific spot. And Eric was one of those students at the time. Eric is now uh, well into his 20s. But uh, at the time, that's how I met Eric. And Eric, without going into a whole lot of details, has a whole lot of... Uh, physical challenges in his life that, that affect him and, and keep him, for a, the large part, homebound quite a bit. And he needs help moving around with a walker, a wheelchair, that type of thing. Uh, but an absolutely great kid. And we bonded, not over history. He's the only kid I maybe have not ever reached about the importance of history. But we bonded over sports. Eric loves sports. He loves football. He loves baseball. He loves basketball, particularly at professional level. He, uh, he runs a fantasy football league every year that is like his great hobby. And I'm a part of that. I've been at the last couple of years. And I really enjoy it. And uh, I tutored him for a while. And then he graduated. And that was a great day. And a few years after that, after coming out of COVID, I heard from him out of the blue. And he asked if I would you know, ever be interested in going some places, taking him some places. I said, sure, I would love to do that. So we've gone to baseball games. Uh, we've gone to movies that, I, that he's wanted to see. We've done a whole bunch of really fun things. And, and Eric's favorite thing is to root against all the teams that I like. <laughs> it's like he just, it's what he likes to do. But with Eric, one of the things that I discovered about myself was the exact opposite of what I experienced with the second Eric or what I showed about myself with the second Eric. Um, Eric is a great kid who, despite all of his challenges, has a fabulous outlook on himself and on life. And he kind of takes sports as a larger metaphor that I think a lot of sports fans understand, but maybe take for granted, right? He's a fan of things that he isn't in any way, shape or form really able to do on his own. And yet he learns everything he can about them and he studies them. He knows more about individual players in every sport than I, that, than I could ever dream of. And he enjoys watching them play, and he enjoys talking about them. And he's, he told me before, he would love to someday be a person who could like talk to these guys for a living and that type of thing. And I would love to help make that happen. But what I learned from him was that sense of perspective. Whereas with Second Eric, I did, wasn't interested at all in his background, in what was going on with him, because he just rubbed me the wrong way initially. Third Eric is the exact opposite. I've been given the gift of every time I get to spend, every time I spend time with him, of getting to see the great human being that he is and see, yeah, those challenges that he's got, but also how he turns them into opportunities for meaning and enjoyment in his life. And nobody's a better trash talker than Eric <laughs> when it comes to sports. Nobody is better. 
And he loves to bust my chops all the time. And it's this wonderful thing. So he'll get on me about my teams, that type of thing. And instead of getting angry about it, we just engage on it. We laugh about it, right? Give each other a hard time. And it is such a blast to take him to these, to these games when we get to go. Because he's locked in. He gets his popcorn. He gets his water. He watches the game. He pays attention to other games that are going on. On his, on his phone, whatever the case may be. And that's what we talk about. We might talk about movies, right? But he has created a whole series of interests for himself that really work for him. And I asked him not too long ago when I was with him, I think I, last time I saw him was at a Super Bowl party that he hosts every year that I go to. And I asked him, yeah, how are you doing? He goes, I'm great. Like, yeah, what's going on? He's like, well, it's Super Bowl and baseball's coming. And we got to talk about next year's fantasy football league. We're like months away from it, but he wants to talk about it already. And we ended up talking about the, the new Marvel movies that were coming out, right? And making plans to go see them together. He is somebody who I got to see with this interest in himself and this compassion for himself that he shows a lot. It's helped me better connect with my own sense of compassion for me and for other people, to better connect with them, to be able to see that despite differences, there are a whole lot of commonalities. And maybe sometimes sports might seem a little superficial in that sense of what it can connect. But when you see that it's coming from a guy, of a kid like Eric, and what that means to him, it's not superficial at all. And I love that about my relationship with Eric. And it's we've we've been going to games now for you know at least a couple of years, and uh, we got we have to do some planning actually. We have we have to we haven't planned any yet for this season, but nevertheless, I know he's talking about it. I know he's ready for it, and he inspires me with his attitude. He inspires me with his energy. He inspires me with his willingness to dig deep into the things that he's excited about, and to spend time about it on them. And it helps me sometimes when I feel like just kind of skating past something or blowing something off, not doing that. And taking a look at what I'm doing in the moment as the most important thing that I could be doing. And I owe that to him. I learned a lot from him. He would probably be really surprised to hear me say that. But I have learned a lot from him in that sense. So, third Eric. <laughs> Helping me see that... Other people just on their own merits, however they are, whatever they're into, have amazing stories and inherent beauty, dignity, and value, no matter what they're going through, who they are. And I would rather approach the world that way, with an attitude towards third Eric, than the one that I showed with second Eric. Even though second Eric was a challenge, a big challenge, third Eric is a super gift. In fact, all these Eric's have been gifts. All right. And finally, really quickly, I'm going to talk about the fourth Eric. He's not going to like this because he's sitting in the studio with me. Okay. Fourth Eric is Eric Ryder, my in-studio producer. And Eric, you don't need to get on the mic at all for this. But uh, I got to tell you, everybody, Eric does so much to make this show successful. And when I first stepped into this studio, I was, frankly, really intimidated. I had not met Eric before. I was intimidated by the whole thing that looks very, very technical in here. But 
I cannot tell you how important it was to have Eric be the landing pad for me when I started this show all those weeks ago, right? I'm in episode 106. And Eric, with a few exceptions, when he's been on vacation, has been behind the board, giving me my cues, telling me my time limits, <laughs> warning me off, <laughs> which he hasn't had to do very, very often. But he's been back, back there for most of them. And he also runs a lot <laughs> around here at Hubbard Radio. The dude is always moving. And I watch him deal with people of really different interests and talk to people with very different topics and to help them craft these shows that they're all doing in ways that are meaningful to them and ways that can be exciting for the station to go out on the airwaves and get uploaded as podcasts. And I discovered my voice in here doing this show and other ones. Uh, breaking up with RBS as well. We were in 80 episodes there, and Eric's been behind the board for most of those. I found my voice in here doing this under Eric's watchful eye. And the very fact that he made everything so easy and continues to, he takes the clips that I send him every week and loads them up for the front end of the show. Everything is so easy, so smooth, that it allows me to really focus on just bringing what I've got each week. And that has been a huge gift, not only in doing the podcast, but in me developing the confidence to keep putting my voice out there to whoever is willing to listen to it around the things that matter to me and that I hope matter to other people. I've not had someone in my life who was able to do that for me around this thing. And having a voice has been a big deal to me for a really long time. Eric has gone further than and done more than any one single person has to help me get my voice out on the airwaves, to discover it, have confidence in it, and to continue to develop it. And I always tell him thank you at the end of every show, as he knows. (laughs) But I really wanted to take an opportunity because when I think of the Eric thread, I'm in thread of big lessons, particularly around voice and establishing myself. He's the most recent example of an Eric who has taught me something that is fundamentally important to me now and I know is going to be fundamentally uh, powerful and important for me going forward. So that's fourth Eric. So thanks, Eric, for that. All right. When we come back from the next break on This Show is All About You, let me catch you up on where I'm at on some things. And I think you'll find it interesting. We'll be right back. I'm Julia Cannell, Executive Director of Airway Science for Kids. We sponsor this show is all about you because it exemplifies our core values, connectivity, communication, emotional intelligence, positivity, respect, and the power of possibility. Help us introduce historically excluded youth to all of these through the wonder and promise of aviation and aerospace careers. Airway Science for Kids, providing aerospace to all. Visit airsci.org to learn more and to contribute your talents. Welcome back, everyone, to this show. It's all about you. I'm laughing because coming out of the break, um, I just sung Eric Ryder's praises, my in-studio producer, and he jokingly said, well, I'm glad that story wasn't about that time we almost came to blows, which, which never happened, by the way. Um, and also, he also had to point out that it, I, my Spider-Man quote was actually not Spider-Man saying, uh, with great power comes great responsibility, but it was the narrator in the film. <laughs> so he wanted to point that out. As well. And we actually, I should add too, 
if there's anybody that I need to talk to when a new Marvel movie comes out or a new Star Wars show, it's always got to be Eric because we have that in common. So we haven't even talked about the new season of The Mandalorian yet. So we'll have to do that once we're done here, Eric. But nevertheless, <laughs> thanks, Eric. I, I appreciate you deeply. All right. So for the last part of the show, let's talk about where I'm at uh, coming off the, the, the four Eric's uh, story for today. And uh, if you've been listening to the show for the last few episodes, you know that I'm in this really interesting process of pulling together all what seem like these disparate areas of interest, my novel that I've written and I'm trying to get published, the podcasts that I do uh, here, um, this show's all about you, and then also breaking up with our BS, and I'm working on a book project with my broadcasting partner there, uh, Tawny Santabria. So I've got that going on. Um, I've got you know sort of my day job, and uh, I, I'm now a, a human potential coach, a certified human potential coach, so I have that whole thing. All those things for a long time seemed like they were just kind of, the only thing they had in common, they were all orbiting around me, but they didn't seem to be necessarily all that close together or knitted into any sort of framework that I could call coherent. Well, that process uh, is coming together slowly but surely. And I know I've been more vague about it uh, last few weeks. And that's on purpose because I'm trying to move step by step and there are these different new ideas that come through. But I'm ready at this point to to share what my next step is going to be, generally speaking. And uh, this, again, comes back to both Eric and, and a few other people, Stacy Heller and a few other uh, longtime contributors to the show, Julia Cannell, who's, uh, who is a big friend of the program, works with Airway Science for Kids. Uh, she's been a big part of this, too. And that is I've decided to pull all of my production, the podcasts that I do, uh, my book project, the writing that I'm going to be doing for my website, and I'm also going to start doing some writing for uh, some pay sites that are out there, and I'll share more about that once those specifics come around. I'm going to be putting all of that writing under one umbrella, and I'm making my own LLC. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to call it JDK Overproductions, with the over in parentheses. JDK Overproductions. And uh, that name comes from Stacy Heller, who once joked to me a long time ago that um, <laughs> that I always go above and beyond, or case over uh, pre preparation or over talking or overwriting, you know that type of things. It became kind of this running joke. So instead of JDK Productions, JDK Overproductions, I've always liked that. It's always a little bit of a, a little bit of a check <laughs> on my ego, uh, and just somewhat funny. And so. I'm in the process of putting together that LLC. And the reason I'm doing that is, number one, it puts all of that under the same umbrella legally that keeps it protected. Not because I'm going to be doing anything reckless with it, but it just makes sense to keep that as a business side of things and have that be protected and funded and paid for itself rather than me needing to do everything on my own. It adds, it adds some layers in there um, of difficulty, but I have help putting that together. Underneath that... Um, I am leaning more and more towards getting my novel, uh, Krell's Inferno, out through that avenue some way, in some way, shape, or form as part of that production company. I'm undecided right now if I'm simply just going to do that as a straight self-published. Um, I don't think I'm going to go that route. The other thing I'm adding to that is I'm seriously considering starting my own publishing printing entity. I'm not sure what that will look like. I'm not sure how that will work yet. I'm still doing a lot of the research on that. But it's not just about my own book. I have 
the privilege of knowing so many people, close friends, people that I've worked with, who have really compelling stories and who have voices that they really want to be heard and original ideas around practically anything you can think of who I really think should be writing a book about whatever that happens to be. I want to help people who are in the same situation as me, written something, proud of it, feel it strong, have gotten feedback on it, get those books out there. I'd like to help other people get their voices out, particularly around subjects that maybe make some people uncomfortable or haven't been talked about in given ways. That's how I want to approach it. And it keeps everything about my own writing right in my hands where I want it. The challenge for me with going the traditional publishing route, it hasn't just been about maybe not having to do all the work that I would have to do uh, you know, otherwise to get an agent or find a publishing company. And that's a really long process. And I probably will still continue putting out queries to agents and publishers for the time being. I probably, I will do that actually. However, there is something that really with that is about ego. And what I mean by that is this. It, it can be, there are a lot of people who self-publish, there's, and there's lots of different ways to do that. And I'm probably one of them. Historically, I've sort of looked down on that. Like, oh, well, I couldn't actually get that published through a publisher, right? Must can't be that good if there's a publisher out there who, uh, if there's no publisher out there, who will actually take it on. And there's a lot of people who believe that. What's really changed, and this has changed a lot because of COVID as well, is not only are there fewer publishing companies to work with now, but the backlog on getting books published is stretching out into years now. And so there's fewer and fewer companies with fewer and fewer employees publishing fewer and fewer books. And that's opening up the space for smaller companies, yes, to start but also for people to find different ways to get their books out into the public sphere. Social media can help with that. Websites can help with that. And I'm starting to wonder, have I really applied my own effort and elbow grease on my own behalf around this? Or do I really just want to be one of those people who has a publisher, who has an agent? I'm not willing to bet on the fact that it's not my ego <laughs> that's talking and that's keeping me from doing that. So I'm going to explore that option of keeping everything in my hands and doing everything in my power to get it out into the hands of people and build its own momentum. As great as it would be to have somebody publish my book and it would feel great, you know, and probably give me a lot more time to do other things, I'd have to give up some rights around the book in order to do that. And that might all feel well and good, but you know what would feel better? <laughs> Is if I was able to do all that, push all that out on my own, on my, in my own way, my own timing, with my own creativity and my own elbow grease behind it and have it be successful. That would feel better. So the potential of that right now is a lot more appealing to me than going the so-called traditional route. And so I have to decide how I'm going to do that, but I definitely don't want it to just be about my own book. I want it to be about getting out the stories, fiction, nonfiction, whatever the case may be, of the Many people that I know and have met and continue to meet who have compelling stories to tell, something about themselves to share. Whether or not they care about getting it out to the mainstream or not doesn't matter to me. 
There are so many books out there. There are so many things that we can watch, read, partake in that it can cause some people to just give up entirely. And I've seen it in some of the writing communities that I've been in. But you can also, and this is what I'm doing, flip that on its head and say, if that's the case, then there's plenty of people out there who will read it. Just have to go find them. It doesn't have to be everybody. It doesn't have to be millions upon millions of people for it to be successful. To me, the book is successful because, A, I wrote it and it feels really good to me. I think it holds up well. I figured out a lot of things about myself in the process of writing that book. It was a, a healing and a growing exercise for me. It helped me come to terms with a lot of things in my life to create a narrative around another story that I didn't realize until fairly late in the game was mirroring some of the narratives of my own life. I was literally working myself out through particularly the main character in the story, but through others as well. And bringing in my love of history as well into the, into the mix. That's a really powerful thing, even if nobody ever read the book inside a book cover. The gift of that book to me starts with what it gave me. And to me, push comes to shove, for whatever reason I wasn't here tomorrow, that's good enough for me. Good enough reason to write it. And yet, I would love the opportunity for other people to read it and be excited about it and tell other people about it and see what could happen there. There's been a democratization of all of this type of media attention over the last 15, 20 years, thanks to social media and other avenues. And so I don't even know what I don't know. I'm in the process of learning all that right now, of all the different possible avenues to get this material out. And frankly, <laughs> thinking that I just have to go one route to get it published in a traditional sense seems rather limited and maybe not the wave of the future. So maybe I want to be one of those people who jumps on that future now rather than look, you know, 10 years down the line and go, oh, I should have done that 10 years ago. So to me, all of that is coming together under this umbrella, JDK Overproductions LLC that I'm putting together. And I'm really excited to share that with you today because that's the engine that is going to be moving a lot of what you're going to hear about in the weeks ahead forward. It's kind of all pulling together. The image that came to mind is if any of you have been to Paris and you head down the Champs-Élysées, at one end of the Champs-Élysées is the Arc de Triomphe. And there's a number of roads that run right into that, right in the kind of a wheel, like spokes into a wheel with the Arc de Triomphe in the center. And all these things felt like they were way out in the distance, but they've all seemed to be coming together okay, to the center here. And this is not to compare all of this to the glory of France, <laughs> but nevertheless, it's the, it's the image that came to mind. That's what's going on. And I'm excited about it. Um, I'm intrigued by the possibility. I am finding a lot of success in just letting things move towards me and stepping into them. And, and, you know, there's a lot of things to take care of. And so I'm adopting increasingly the habit of when something comes to me and goes, oh yeah, I need to do that. Taking that cue to just go ahead and do it, whether it's a quick email or write down that quick note or make that quick phone call, right? Or cover that base that you were going to cover. Finish that document. I do the best I can to just do it the moment that I think of it or as soon as possible if I have other responsibilities going on at the time. And I'm finding more and more success with that as time goes by because all these efforts that I've been making since day one on all these things, this is the fruit of that. 
these things would not be coming together unless I stuck with it, doing like 100-plus shows of this show is all about you, 80-plus of breaking up with our BS, working on my website, building social media, all that stuff, all those little deposits over time are building up, if you will, building up that savings, building up those expenditures that I can make now to pull all this together. And I'm really excited about that, and I look forward to telling you more about that in specifics as time goes by. So that is where I am at. So thank you so much for tuning into this episode of This Show Is All About You. If you missed any of this or any other episodes, you can find This Show Is All About You as a podcast wherever you get your podcast. Please visit my website, wordsbyjdk.com, which will be getting a revamp uh, as soon as possible. Uh, and in the meantime, you can find me on social media as well. Please reach out to me. would love to hear from you. To finish off the show, as I always do, so a bunch of thank yous. <laughs> this show is all about you. is produced and distributed by Hubbard Radio Seattle. Eric Ryder, fourth Eric, is the studio and studio producer, editor, mix master. Thanks so much, Eric. Show is made possible by the generous sponsorship of Airway Science for Kids. Check them out at airside.org. And the original theme music is by Dave Nelson of Lens Group Media. Special thanks for contributing to this episode and all that went well for me this week. Goes to Julia Cannell, Tawny and Dave Santabria, Bruce and Cindy Buller, Daryl Sutherland, Dean Cameron, Ann Foster, Justin Park, Stacey Heller, Katie Beck, and Eric Crema. Thanks to Bruce Bullard, my trainer, for your amazing battle through your cancer treatments. The way you still showed up for yourself without trying to minimize it, but you also still showed up for me and so many of your clients. You're an inspiration. Congratulations on finishing your treatments. Really, really excited that you get to move forward in health. Thanks, too, to my buddy Phil McCoy for his intrepid work in helping me sell off a bunch of old junk over the weekend. I didn't know how to do that. He showed me. It's fabulous. And to you listeners, thank you. I couldn't do this for you without you. And to wrap us up, to take us into the week, let's finish with this original haiku. The names and faces from each stage of our lives all tell our own story. Chins up, everyone. <laughs>